0: And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's me. With me, as always, super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman on the ones and twos. Brandon, how you doing?
4: Doing well, Mike. I hope everyone had a great weekend.
0: Hope you did, too. Uh, we gave Dad Monday off and ourselves Monday off. We are coming to you live from the past here. Uh, on this Memorial Day. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review. Normally, you can hear us live Monday through Friday, 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern on DraftKingsNetwork.com and Samsung TV+. Plus. But we are off today and giving you a best-of podcast in the meantime and so today you are going to hear from anish Schroff, espn and carolina panthers play-by-play announcer on championship weekend in college lacrosse coming up you're going to hear from O'Shea jackson jr actor in the film cocaine bear about his role in that movie and from writer director and show creator of shrinking and ted lasso bill lawrence as we get ready for the ted lasso series finale enjoy we'll see you on the other side All right. With all that in mind, let's get to the real crown jewel of the weekend. We talked about it off top a little bit. We've got the NCAA lacrosse final fours and men's and women's going on this weekend. The men's tournament going to be in Philadelphia. And that is where we meet, I believe in transit, a good friend, former colleague, Anish Shroff, who is play-by-play announcer for ESPN and the Carolina Panthers. Anish, are you on the road to Philly right now? I am on the road. I decided to make this a a family trip. It's my
3: wife's birthday tomorrow, and generally, championship weekend forces me to miss her birthday. So this year, I said, hey, let's just bring the whole gang right before I jumped on. Bring a bagel for my daughter. She's yelling at me because the iPad is not on the right profile. So um, you're about to get some serious dad energy on the show right now
1: it's amazing anish how and i found amazing. this with the boys anish. in how sydney I- growing up that they don't care that you're on your way to do something very big or when i was going to call a game they want theirs right they want their ipad they want their food they want everything from dad and you have to provide yeah th-
3: their priorities are way different than mine she wants to watch harry potter and brave or whatever she's got on the ipad and basically i'm just like a conduit right now my wife is driving wondering when i'm going to be off this call so she can <laughs> yell at me about something you know
0: that that's just what this road trip is you've been there have you found a babysitter for friday night is what i need to know
3: <laughs> uh we think so we think we got one but uh you know you were option number 1 you were option number 1 athena loves hanging out with you She thought you two could go maybe get some donuts, which is her favorite pastime and yours. And uh, after watching Harry Potter the other night, uh, she felt that you bore a striking resemblance to Hagrid. And and I'm stunned to hear that has never once been one of your Halloween costumes.
0: I know. Major failing on my part, and I've got to remedy that this year. If nothing else for Athena... So we'll work on that. I'm glad you've worked on the babysitter situation. Let's work on champ weekend, Anish. Just big picture. This sport, I said, kind of turns its championship weekend into a celebration, an all-star weekend. What to you stands out and makes champ weekend and lacrosse so different?
3: Well, the one thing is um, Memorial Day weekend, there's a lot of patriotism that comes out. There's a lot of flavor that comes out. But to me, it's the stage. For most of the year, this is a sport that, If I'm being honest, it's played somewhat in the shadows, and this is the one opportunity for the sport to really grow. It's bigger than professional lacrosse. It's bigger than any other form of the sport. Like, we talk about March Madness. It's not bigger than the NBA Finals. It's not. In lacrosse, the biggest version, the most popular version of the sport is the college version championship weekend. It gives us windows on ESPN, ESPN2 that we just don't have in the regular season. And you get to showcase the best of the best to the broadest audience possible that you just don't get in the regular season.
1: Anish, because of the normal top teams and where they're from, is there still a regional factor in lacrosse that hurts it overall nationally?
3: No, there's not. What's happened is the sport has grown so much geographically where now you look around. Take these Ivy League schools that aren't even in the championship weekend field, for example. They got kids from California and Washington and Texas and Florida. There are kids from all over the map. Uh, from, yeah, I wouldn't say all 50 states, but you got the West Coast represented. The Midwest, it's growing. It's not just Long Island and Baltimore and Central New York like it used to be. Now, you'll watch Duke. You'll watch Notre Dame. There, Yeah, there's a heavy Long Island flavor on those teams. But they also have kids from Texas and Florida and the West Coast. So... Uh, geographically, it's certainly become more diversified. Demographically, we got some work to do, but geographically, the sport is spreading. Uh,
0: You mentioned that spread of the sport, grow the game is something we always hear about that. And usually that comes from the stars. You can think of the Thompson brothers from back in the day, the Powells at Syracuse. If you were appointing people who are coming to the sport for the first time this weekend, their introduction, what's your sell as far as the stars that can help grow the game this weekend?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of them, which is awesome. Uh, start with Brennan O'Neill. This kid is basically Thanos with a lacrosse stick. Um, <laughs> just built differently. Most of his goals are unassisted. This kid committed to Penn State, actually, as an eighth grader. Ended up going to Duke. Duke will play Penn State in one of the semifinals. Came to college, and if you're going to draw an analogy, almost with like LeBron James type of hype coming out of high school. You know, this is the prince that was promised. This was the next great player. And in some ways, he surpassed expectations, which were ridiculous to begin with. So you got him. You got Connor Schellenberger, who's like this maestro. He's the surgeon. He was the most outstanding player of championship weekend as a redshirt freshman two years ago. I'm not sure there's a better facilitator and orchestrator of an offense in the game right now than him. He plays for Virginia. And then Pat Kavanaugh, who I'm sure you guys love watching at Notre Dame, you no, know, this kid is just stone cold, old school. He and his brother Chris Cavanaugh will do things on the field where there's this sixth sense, this ESP between them, like the Thompsons, like the Powells, like the Gates. Uh, it's just unique. There's a creativity. There is a flair. There's a tenaciousness. Uh, they ride, which is essentially the equivalent of pressing in basketball. Uh, the way they do it, they're like banshees and piranhas. So. You got the Kavanaugh brothers, you got Schellenberger, you've got Brennan O'Neill, and then you've got a host of other players who, I, 10 years from now, we're going to look back in, on some of these games and go, Whoa, I mean, look at the talent that we had concentrated in Philadelphia on one weekend.
1: Yeah, the Kavanaugh family at Notre Dame has been incredible. All right, Anish, let, let's get through the Penn State Duke game quickly because Mike and I don't care about it, um, but everybody else should care about it. Uh, How much of an upset would this be if Penn State were to knock off Duke?
3: Duke. Probably one of the biggest upsets we've seen on championship weekend. Uh, Penn State's top defender got hurt last week. His status is unclear. They need everybody that they can get. Uh, It's going to be hard to match up man for man with Duke. The one area where Penn State does have an advantage matchup-wise is goalie. They've got one of the best goalies and maybe – One of the top two goalies left, Liam Enzimit of Notre Dame, is very good. But this Frassian kid is incredible. He's going to have to stand on his head and maybe make 20, 25 saves uh, for Penn State to have a chance in this game. But they are a massive underdog. The one thing they have, Penn State has a large Philadelphia alumni base. They will be the de facto home team this weekend
0: going to be interesting for them to try and weaponize that. The same way last weekend we saw Johns Hopkins try and do that in Annapolis as they took on Notre Dame in the quarterfinals. Notre Dame now facing Virginia, the only team they lost to during this regular season. So, Anish, give it to us straight. You've been one of the biggest proponents going back to last year's Notre Dame snub from the tournament. What are the chances for the Irish to go and dogpile this thing and get through to Monday?
3: If I'm being honest, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. Because you got to go through a Virginia team that is built to stop Notre Dame. What they have, they've got a a 6'5 and 6'7 defenseman who match up real well with the Kavanaugh's. One of the guys, Cole Kastner, who's 6'7, he's a junior, he's from California. This kid wants to play college basketball, Division I, maybe as soon as next year or after he's done at Virginia. He could have walked on to the Virginia basketball team for Tony Bennett but his class schedule conflicted with practice. So this kid is an elite athlete. He's not just some plodding 6-7 big guy who throws checks. He can move. So defensively, Virginia has pieces to match up with Notre Dame's best players on offense. And then the way Notre Dame's defense is constructed, I equate it to the Death Star where there is a weakness and they and they make you, you know, fire that little missile into that really small hole and you got to get in the middle of it. Virginia's got the pieces to do that. They move so well. They've got a great passer, and they've got two great inside finishers. So it's going to be hard to get past Virginia. The other part is it's the second semifinal. There's a significant disadvantage in playing game two. It's less rest, especially when you got the quick turnaround. And looking at the temperatures, Monday's a hot day. So whoever comes out of that second semifinal, to me, is up against it in that game Monday, especially if they're playing Duke. And then if Notre Dame, if they get past Virginia, now you play Duke. Yes, they beat Duke in the regular season. They've had Duke's number the last couple of years. But again, short rest, and if you look at history, I mean, Mike, Duke has been the bet noir for Notre Dame lacrosse. Going back to 2010, national championship, Duke beats Notre Dame in overtime on a long pole goal. That's a long stick defenseman scoring a goal. They beat Notre Dame three times in the quarterfinals since then, again in the championship in 2014. They've knocked Notre Dame out of the tournament five times starting 2010. So for Notre Dame, this will be the ultimate exorcism. Can you beat a Virginia team that has beaten you, what, four or five times in a row? And then can you beat Duke, the team that has haunted you in May over the last 15 years?
1: Uh, Mike, I I really like Anish. uh, I consider him a friend, but I'm done talking to him. So you go ahead and finish (laughs) this. I didn't like any of those answers.
0: Goodbye. It got way too real, way too quick. But, guys, that is all the more reason. If you need any more of a sell, you must not have a heartbeat. Champ weekend's going to be awesome, and you're going to get to hear Anish's voice all weekend long. Anish, thanks so much for the time, buddy. Safe travels. Tell Athena and Faye I said hi, and hope you guys have a great time. All right, hope to see you there Monday. And remember to check out Jaegermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jaegermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jaegermeister US, White Plains, New York. Yes, sir. Awesome, man. How's it going?
5: Everything's good, man. Chilling. Uh, just doing press for this crazy movie. Uh, did, uh, did Rich Eisen yesterday. Did the talk this morning? I'm just grinding, bro.
0: I've seen you everywhere, man. GMA, Kelly Clarkson. You've been all over the place. <laughs>
5: yeah, you know it's not bad. It's uh, it's definitely it. You know, it this this part of it can be you know a little tiresome. You know, it's just like on the body catching flights, doing all that type of stuff. But it's part of it, man. You got to sell the movie too, and and you know I do a pretty good job selling.
0: No, that's for damn sure. I mean, getting to walk in with cocaine bear as the product that you're peddling to, pretty like pretty decent sales job to be on the other side of for sure. Yeah, it's and
5: it's weird. It's it's just like it's just weird having like daytime news and like daytime shows talk about cocaine so openly. It's just like I got Al Roker talking to me, so uh, cocaine bear. And
0: I'm like, Oh, yeah, you're right it does it's so different because i feel like i'm because we're right about the same age and i feel like growing up all of that stuff in the middle of the day it just didn't get touched it was daytime soap operas and sports center like we didn't get to hear all that so yeah you leading the charge on that's like cussing in front of your grandparents for the first time it just feels exactly yeah it's that same feeling of yep that's what i'm here for
5: when i did uh well i was doing kenobi and uh you know, I'm, I'm on there. Uh, you know, it's, it's Disney, Star Wars, and you know, best job I ever had. And I'm kicking it with you and McGregor. And you know, it's like, in my mind, I'm like, it's Obi Wan Kenobi. And he's like, yeah, so Shay, what are you doing next? And I'm like, uh, um, mm, cocaine bear. And he's like, you know, when Obi Wan Kenobi looks at you and goes, Oh, that, well, that sounds like fun. <laughs>
3: it's like you know,
5: but uh, yeah, everybody gets a kick out of that title, dude. And when they hear it's based on a true story, it's like, oh, dude, you have to do that movie.
0: Oh, uh, hook, line and sinker. Listen, as someone who now has to introduce themselves as a podcaster, I understand it feels a little strange to put some titles in front of people when you're uh, (laughs) when you're bringing that out in public. It's like, no, I swear, like I don't live in my folks basement. It's a paid gig now. We're good (laughs) (laughs) No, man. So it, it is interesting, too, because now I feel like at this point, we've seen pretty publicized tweeting this movie into existence, which man what a hero for all the rest of us who are staying on that hell site until its absolute dying day that good things <laughs> can't come from Twitter. What, so you tweet about the movie. Elizabeth Banks, who's directing the movie, sees the tweet, and you guys connect. So from seeing and reading about it on Twitter to when you first get that script in front of you, what was that first read-through like when all of a sudden you see, all right, this is what Cocaine Bear's about to sound like? I was... I
5: was happy that the bear is actually showcased as much as it is. You know, it's like it, it, it's it's the elephant in the room. Like you know, people are are you know you know what you're here to see. You know, and we don't waste any time and getting right to it. And I love that. You know, we don't. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of all type of creature movies and part of you know just like creature movie etiquette is you kind of tease a little bit, you know, when are we all right? When are we getting the Jaws, bro? Where's Jaws at? You told me Jaws was gonna be here. And right, right off up. the jump, you guys are in in for a ride with Koki. Uh she is a problem in I every sense <laughs> of the word. <laughs> and uh I, the first time I saw it was at the premiere. So to see, you know, what you read uh come to light is always fun, it's always, you know, it always is a a butterflies, goosebumps type feeling. And so, man, it's exactly what I read, all right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's like, no, this bear is on a ton of cocaine. Yes, check, check. 100%. (laughs) What like because I saw how you guys filmed it too, so it's obviously a CGI bear. And spoiler alert for everybody: not a real bear hopped up on cocaine. But you mm-hmm. guys had a dude on set who basically had to play the part of the bear. So how is it interacting with this guy that is supposed to be on a cocaine fueled murder rage when he's not actually a bear?
5: Yeah, it's a it's a big New Zealand dude uh, from uh, no, it's a big New Zealand dude named uh, Alan Henry who's from. Planet of the Apes. He did um, uh, Lord of the Rings work, so he 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 gets in it. You know, he's he's the real deal. Super cool dude. Um, you know, I, I I really love laughing with people off camera. You know, great sense of humor. I, I feel like great morale makes great movies. So you know, you you're going to be with somebody for two three months. You want to get along, and Alan was just you know just so cool. But at the same time, it's this. Dude in black spandex coming at you—it's some fear in your heart, you know. It's going to be there, and they—they had him on these these like stilts for him to crawl on all fours, you know, which is great for the lower back. But he's crawling on all fours all day, and he has this like apparatus where like we would see the bear's snout and its eyes. So they, they use that for like you know mapping out on the computer. And, uh, you know, just so they can measure the mass of a real bear. But, you know, it's cool. It's cool to have that. You know, it's cool to have some, you know, the closest thing to a practical effect is we can have because, you know, in stuff like, stuff like King of the Monsters, nothing is there. I remember that was the worst part is as a Godzilla fan, I was so excited to be in King of the Monsters. And I remember my first day driving the set thinking. I'm never going to see Godzilla, like, the entire time. Like, I'm going to have to wait a year and a half before I even see a rendering of Godzilla. This is just going to be a bunch of people playing pretend for money. That's all this is <laughs> about to be right now. <laughs> and so, like, it you know, the, the Star Wars thing, we had at least a practical set. You know, obviously, we worked in the volume when we could. But, like, you know, some of those creatures in Star Wars are actually there. Like, I, I see them. Like, they're They're moving. Like, so it, it's it's great when you can work with practical effects. The closest thing we could get to a black bear in Ireland was Alan Henry. I love that dude. Uh, he's a beast, literally uh, and figuratively.
0: Just to be clear, Alan Henry didn't go full method acting and actually eat a bag of cocaine,
5: I'm <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak on his personal life, but he seemed legit. He seemed okay. <laughs> you know, he, he had a conversation real smooth
2: All right, dude. So sorry. Ready to
0: roll. Oh, no problem, man. I know you guys got plenty going on. Trust me.
2: No, man. It's a writer's room. And we were out late carousing last night's premiere party for Ted Lasso. And we had to finish something today that I said I'd be done with by noon. It took me till five minutes ago, dude. I'm so sorry.
0: Oh, no. No worries. I actually, funny enough, I ended up at that Ted Lasso premiere party last night. I was looking around, and I didn't see you anywhere in there. Were you really there, dude? Because I, I met
2: Sarah Spain there for like 30 seconds. So I, I, I'm surprised you weren't circling around her somewhere, man.
0: Sarah was my ticket in there, actually. I must have like missed her at that point. She texted me at like 8.30 last night. Yeah. And said, hey, hypothetically, if I had an extra ticket to this premiere party, could you be at Brentwood by 935? And sh- as she put it, she's like, you're the only single childless person I know in this area of Los Angeles who could have done it. So big win for me lifestyle-wise. I realized coming onto to this that I essentially did like, I always called it the Ryan Rosillo where I left ESPN to move to Los Angeles, but I realized you're a Connecticut guy. So I did the Bill Lawrence going Connecticut to Los Angeles trying to like make it. I like that
2: work. more because I know, I know Rasillo, but he played in my basketball game once or twice out here, believe it or not. And uh, uh, he's a good dude, man. I, uh, it's, I, I like all my connections to the people that used to be at ESPN because I don't have many connections to people that uh, are still there.
0: Yeah, no, there's a there's an interesting like breakout from all that. And ironically, a lot of people decided after living in Central Connecticut, they'd rather live in Southern California, which isn't shocking.
2: Well, look, I mean, I wouldn't say that those are opposite ends of the scale, but they're close. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. <laughs> We're in Connecticut, man. I grew up in Avon and then went to high school in West Hartford.
2: Yeah, okay. I should have known that. I knew that. Yeah, I grew up in the mean streets of Ridgefield, Connecticut.
0: There you go. You yeah, say I got man. out though,
2: man. I got I a success story. I pulled myself up by my Fairfield County bootstraps. <laughs> got out of there.
0: A true, a true miracle that you're here with us today here. Yeah, we're we're yeah, appreciative you true. found your way out here. I'm also I, I, I'm glad you survived playing basketball with Rossillo Are you as intense on the court as Ryan is? Because I know he's he a, takes that very
2: seriously. He's a hard charger, man. He, look, the uh, uh, I had a milestone. Um the, uh, uh, my son is about 6'5". He played ball in high school and, and, and uh, 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 had to stop there. And uh, my two milestones were he finally beat me in one-on-one. And I actually had to talk to a sports therapist about it because uh, we said, first one to 10 games, either he has to make my lunch, you know, for uh, every weekend for a couple of weeks, or uh, uh, I had to buy him a jersey he wanted. And he went up. He's much better than me. He can dunk. He's a better shooter, better athlete. And he uh, uh, went up like eight games to two, and then started talking. And so I just decided to a, I'm going to psychologically defeat him, and b, um, whatever, I'm going to play him tight on his jump shot. Whenever he drives, I'm just going to tackle him into the bushes and not worry about it. Yep. And uh, and it got a really gross kind of pressure because I made it nine. I got it to nine games to eight him, and my wife had to say like, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) why does this matter to you? And I literally talked to a a therapist, buddy, I'm doing a show about therapy now who said, you can't let him win, but you also can't do this crap you're doing. You have to play straight up, be kind. You can't foul him intentionally. And he just rocked me to win. And so that was like a huge, a huge, and then part two of it, I went on Dan and Stu gots show. And I played ball because I was working out in Miami. And, uh, and they speak so highly of you, you should know that. Um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Tony played in his game. And the next day on the show, they asked him if I was good. He's like, he's got a great old man game. I'm wow. like, dude, you just killed me. You killed me. Between that and them, I saw
0: them. They were reading like the critiques from Time Magazine about trading. Yeah, that that, you want to talk about psychological warfare? Those guys—that was below the belt, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Well, you know, I don't think that there's. All right, I often say when I when I talk about this stuff that people mistake Hollywood and sports for being massively different than any other business, and in lots of ways they aren't. You know, what I mean, in lots of ways you know, you have your shelf life, you're hot or you're not, you have a free agent year. It's the, the same type. The one thing that is a uh, uh, kind of overlap that doesn't exist elsewhere are you signed on for a job that people are going to crap on you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, even if you're trying your best, you know, if it does not come up at the level they want it to. To And I've been thinking about this all day is fascinating. Seth Rogan gave a super interesting, um, interview yesterday that could have been given by a former athlete instead of an actor. And he said, I don't know what's changed in our culture, but I think if the critics, or in your case, when when we're talking about sports, some of the sports reporters out there knew how much the crap they said really personally, the tone of it now personally hurts you. He's like, I think they'd stop, you know, or at least, and he wasn't saying they'd stop saying like, oh, this player sucked or this player's no good or this show stinks or it's a, but they, the tone of which some of these things are written now are so personal and damaging. I feel like I'm Teflon. And the one I was laughing about that you just mentioned, I mean, it took me into my knee, man. I felt, like, I felt like I had been pushed off of a bunk bed, you know, and you're like, <gasps> like <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, it's, it, it, I, I, I will never forget. And hopefully I, I always try and go back to this as I go along because you're right. I think for a lot of people, the further away they get from the process, yeah. The harder it is for them to remember there are human beings in the middle of it. And I have this distinct memory of like four years ago as I'm just getting going and trying to keep that top of mind. My dad's advice was always, hey, you're criticizing the action and not the actor like you can't yeah. make it personal. And that was when Eddie Lacy was still with the Packers, and he had, was, you know, a heavier running back, and a lot of people would comment on that. And Eddie came out and said that affected him, like he had to talk to somebody about that because he battled to keep his weight down. And I remember sitting there going, "My God, if he hadn't said anything, we'd have probably all just kept going on making jokes about this like it didn't." And finally, you have some people speaking up, which I think is hopefully going to help that. But I don't even know if that's possible at this point.
2: I don't know, man. You know, it's really fascinating. People don't even realize it about uh, criticism in uh, entertainment. When I was a kid and I'm old, you know, uh, there are critics like a, a woman named Pauline Kael is a famous film critic or a theater critic. And frankly, The people would get excited to read their reviews, negative or positive, because they were never personally mean. They're well written, like short stories and insightful. And even if you read that stuff about your own crap, you would be like, oh, that's a good point. Or that's it. It never felt like someone was just hammering you. And now, now man, I'm, I'm, I'm literally half the time, until someone doesn't like things like, well, you know what you're going to get with the Bill Lawrence show, this piece of crap. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What what happened? <laughs> I'm a pretty decent guy. I can say, what did I ever do to all of you guys? Good lord. man. Um, Look, the right. one thing that we have that actors, athletes, uh, even hosts like yourself don't have is we have a step removed because sure. at least I get to live in the world of like, oh, you're judging this stuff I wrote on a, on a pad and not me personally. Once you enter into the, the world of, of, you know, feeling like you're personally attacked, man, it's rough out there.
0: I think, and because I heard you talking on on the South Beach sessions with Dan about your start being in stand-up comedy when you first came out here. Does that influence how you write knowing that, like, hey, part of what I'm doing in here is going to end up being in a performance with someone that's going to be on them? Like, to your point, that actor's face and name are front and center on all of that. Did that experience, being on the stage, being in front of people like that, kind
2: of influence the way that you wrote for others for that reason? Yeah, in two different ways. Look, one is um, I think the, uh, you know, I started in something called multi camera sitcoms where I'm so old, man, that, you know, my, the first show I created was called Spin City, but I run on Friends, oh, yeah. Boy Meets World, and there'd be a live audience. And uh, um, uh, there is nothing, if you have the experience of a stand up of just going out and eating it, you know, of having a night or some material that people just do not respond to in any way, shape, or form you have an extra layer of protection Mm -hmm. uh, for actors and actresses you like, because for them to die up on stage with something they didn't even write. I I still remember, by the way, I I, Mike Fox is the nicest guy um, in the planet. Uh, The coolest thing of, you know, an icon for me was suddenly saying stuff I wrote. And I remember the first year I convinced him to try a joke that he didn't like. I'm like, oh, I'll just try it. It'll be funny, man. And, you know, in front of a packed audience, he did it. It was silence and he broke in the middle of the scene. He just goes, I'm going to murder you, Bill. But <laughs> the, the audience all laughed. I'm literally like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, man. Um, so that aspect of it, of not wanting to subject people to that I think it, it drives you makes you work harder. Um, I think the other thing it teaches you uh, to stand up is to look, there's two schools of writing, especially comedy writing. Um, there's a lot of no judgment, there's a lot of uh, uh, men and women that are, um, they're married to their words. Mm. And it might sound jerkish, like when I go, Oh, you're not allowed to riff, or to change a line from, um, um, you know, and to also or whatever. And before you go, well, that's not fair. It's no different than like, if if you or I got hired to do uh, Romeo and Juliet, which would be horrible casting. But if we got hired to do Shakespeare, and we showed up on Broadway and I was like, Hey, I'm probably going to riff a couple of these lines. They'd be like, why we don't change it. That's not how it works. So I get it. But for me, what standup taught me was, um, there are different things that comics and comedians can say that only work because they're coming out of their voice, hmm. you know? And, um, uh, I mean, try it sometime. I told some young comedy writers I was teaching at a college to say, uh, one of your favorite stand-ups sometime, go online and try to find a written out, you know version of one of their bits unless it's a hard setup punchline whatever just to read it sometimes it's not funny sometimes the Chappelle, you know until it comes out of Chappelle's mouth or bill burr's mouth you know or sarah silverman's mouth sometimes it you know on the page you're like oh that's kind of and then when they say it you're like boom so with tv writing i really embraced a uh i say with actors and actresses when i do a pilot uh the characters belong 50 percent to the performers and 50% to the writers. Uh, But then they get to start taking more and more ownership every week. Till on my shows that work the best, the cast by the end of the first season can say stuff like I wouldn't say that, or is it okay if I say this differently? Or the best thing is I'm gonna do a different joke here and they do it all on their own. And then someone comes up to me and goes, hey, I love that joke. I just go, thank you. (laughs) You I don't
0: care. It's it, honestly the parallels with that are actually incredible, kind of with soccer at the forefront of Ted Lasso. Because really, you think about that for the manager, that's what you know you can put so much into them, and then these people have to take ownership for you. Then, with that as that style of giving some of this autonomy to the actors, do you watch some characters like change markedly from what you had in mind when you're cooking this up? Like when you look at Ted Lasso now, where we're at in season three is there a character who you never would have predicted evolved the way they did over the course of the show because an actor took some risks or took liberties with that?
2: Yeah. Look, I can tell you, um, um, right on the bat, that's a completely different situation only because, uh, we call it the, I called it the answer key. Jason Sudeikis, was such a strong and still mm-hmm. is, I mean, he's running the show the third year, you know, I'm able to do other shows because that guy's just not an actor and writer. You know, he's a showrunner, And so for me, third season, I go, Hey, I'm going to go do shrinking and this thing called bad monkey in Miami. And he ran the show himself. The reason we call him the answer key. This is what's so weird is to be in a writer's room with somebody that is pitching and developing stuff for their character. And before you put it on film, you can find out if it works because he'll just say it right next to you, you know, um, which is freaky. Uh, the most interesting, uh, character change for me I was blown away by it, is, uh, the dude that plays Roy, Brett Goldstein. is a comedy writer and a comedian first. And uh, you rarely see this. He's the exact antithesis of his character in real life. He's so sweet and so sensitive and kind. And he doesn't talk like this and he doesn't growl, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so to see him instead of just kind of like a lot of times some of the actors and actresses in comedy, especially that we love the most, are playing versions of themselves. You know what I mean? And that's what we respond to. You know um you want to believe that tom hanks is really like that my other show harrison ford is really like that you know and and, uh, uh uh it's fascinating when somebody takes something that from the second they get the part you're like oh it's going to be a much more kind of open emotional sensitive guy and he just to say you know brett's taken it so far you'll be hard pressed to find a picture of him in the media smiling he decided back then He's like, man, if I'm going for it, I'm going for it. Even his photos, it's this. You know, just absolute asshole face. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, did, uh, I don't think anybody expected him to fly that way. It was really cool. He crushed it. it it's, And
0: I, I think with him especially, he kind of is a big part of what I think you do really well. And hearing your talk about sports and your background in sports and how much you love that, it makes a lot more sense because the one thing as I've you know talked about the show and talked with people about the show – Part of me always goes back to the former athlete stuff. And I feel like you guys hit so many of the smaller notes about locker room dynamics and about players transitioning away from the game and the difficulties with identity crisis. In addition to the obvious, you know, overt conversations about the mental health around athletes. And I feel like Brett's character and Roy, especially the beginning of season two. You really see so many of the parts of every former athlete, or I'd say the vast majorities, transition from the game into whatever their next role is. Like, did that just come from you and your experience? Were there other people that you talked about with that? How did that go?
2: Well, look, the the um, this show in particular, I think one of the cool things about it was uh, Jason and I initially connected. He's a hell of a basketball player. He's a, a sports nut. Um, one of our first bonding things, the first year was he came out to my basketball game and immediately, you know, that's how you like judge somebody he immediately equipped himself very well. He's, you know, Midwestern boy with a Midwestern mm-hmm. jump shot, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, 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 and so on that, that show, the, the most interesting thing about it, as far as being knowledgeable about the sports, I mean, it was going to be a sports show. So we had to kind of be obsessive about it. Brendan Hunt, who plays coach Beard is truly an encyclopedia of this stuff. We're all fans, but the, the bigger issue was not knowing the Premier League the same way uh, and, you know, really discovering that it's the closest thing to regional college football, you know, here in the way that they have psychotic localized fan bases, you know, and, and, and that kind of, you know, a small city passion that also transcends nationally. We had to staff that show with uh, uh, Brett Goldstein, who's... Parents are all Tottenham Hotspurs and um, uh, 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 Phoebe Walsh, whose family are all Chris- people that grew up with the passion of Premier League. So we understood it and could equate it to all, all our athlete friends. But what's so more interesting is your question is so good because it's the perspective. I think, you know, to me, it's easy to do sports when you're doing sports. But I think if you grow up in that world, guy or girl, you know, Jason, I connected and a lot of my shows end up being about mentorship and coaching, you know what I mean? And, um, Dr. Cox on scrubs was without a doubt, half my English teacher and half my basketball coach, you know what I mean? And, (laughs) uh, 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 and even on Ted Lasso, Jason made all the writers when they showed up for interviews, you had to tell a story of, you know, uh, an influential mentor in your life, you know, uh, someone who either made you believe you could get over a hump or, you know, or someone that made you believe, you know, because having anybody make you believe you can do it in sports or grow up in Connecticut and suddenly be writing comedy, even though I didn't know anybody west of the Mississippi, you know, Uh, you need somebody that gives you that. I, I believe in you, you know, stuff, whether you register that it's happening or not, you know, and it's amazing that everybody has those stories regardless of walks of life. And, 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 you know, look, eventually I'm going to do one too many podcasts and people are going to realize I write the same thing every time, but I'm so (laughs) into that world, you know, of like the people that got us here along the way. It's one of the reasons, you know, not to take you to it, but over the years I've loved your relationship with your pop, you know, it's, it's inspiring on the same level and it's the stuff I like writing about, you know?
0: No, it's, I, I think those are the things that everyone can relate to. Like I always you know, go back to that. That was the number one thing I got notes about when we were doing the show together was people that say, oh, I, I work with my mom every day or I work with my old man, and they, they see themselves in that part of it. I will say to that end, too, you shouldn't feel too bad about how that basketball game went with your son because my dad was a high school and college wrestler, had the same thing. He always threw on the offer as whenever you think you're ready – We'll go out and we'll go after this. It ended up being Easter Sunday on my grandmother's front lawn in the neighborhood my dad grew up in. We were out full-blown like college wrestling style, getting down on the mat in the front yard in our Easter Sunday clothes, absolutely embarrassing our entire family in the neighborhood. Outstanding. Cooked, cooked his ass. I absolutely cooked his ass. but so Yeah,
2: it's outstanding. I will tell you. I was thinking about this the other day. My dad's struggling right now. It's a – you know, just a he's an older guy and that's a bummer, but the, uh, I was thinking about him the other day and I went back into some photo albums and, uh, not to get into tennis too much, but I, uh, my dad was a good tennis player and I should have beaten him much younger. And I finally at, uh, 16 just got over it and just kicked it. You know, when you flip the switch, I just kicked his ass mm-hmm. I just absolutely, just a uh, absolute beat down. And that's why I love my mom. Uh, my mom was like, let me get a picture of this. And my dad, uh, turned to the camera and gave double barrels, you know? And, uh, I have that in my photo album cause she sent it out as our Christmas cards and Merry Christmas from the Lawrence's. It said inside, it's like his first time Bill beat his dad in tennis. And by the way, there was no joke aspect of it. He just, well, he was covered in sweat and just furious. You know, it made me so happy.
0: All right, Brandon, time to finish this thing off the way we always do so everyone can go out there and enjoy a safe Memorial Day with their family and friends, hopefully. Um, But before we get to this, that, and the third, Brandon, another way that people can enjoy their Memorial Day is through the fine folks at Omaha Steaks. Now, we are coming up on Father's Day. Very soon. And we have my dad in this podcast all the time. I always talk about one of my earliest memories. My dad is in front of the grill It was always where he was comfortable. My high school football team used to go away for camp in the fall and he would come and be the grill master and cook for all of us. And so I feel like giving him the gift of a nice juicy steak on Father's Day is right up his alley and it can be right up anybody's alley. Father's Day is a great opportunity to let the experts at Omaha Steaks make it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with some hand-selected packages. If you go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code GOJO, you're going to check out and get $30 off your qualifying order. Packages include things like Fort Tender Bacon wrap, Filet Mignon, other gourmet grillables like air-chilled boneless chicken breasts, jumbo burgers, franks, and more. And you can get a little dessert in there as well. They've got four delicious caramel apple tartlets. I am getting hungry and actually salivating now just thinking about it. So head on over, check out all their other hand-selected packages guaranteed to make your dad's day on Father's Day because dads want steak. So. Whether he's your father, your father-in-law, or a father figure, he's the guy who's always been ready to step up when you need him most. This Father's Day, show him the love with the only gift that is as unforgettable as he is: the mouth-watering perfection of Omaha Steaks. From perfectly aged, oh-so-tender steaks to hand-selected gift packages, Omaha Steaks makes it easy to give Dad what he really wants. Order today and get thirty dollars off with promo code GOJO, and every purchase is backed by their unconditional money-back guarantee. Minimum order may be required. See site for details. Brandon. I know your sons are very young, both under the age of three, but hopefully one of them figures out how to work the promo code and get you some Omaha Steaks.
4: Yeah, man, I just need a nice
0: filet. Guys are easy to shop for. It's what I tell all my friends, significant others, who ever ask me about what to get them for a gift. Make it edible. It's the first question I ask anytime anyone gives me a gift. So make sure you check that out. Again, use the promo code GOJO when you're at Omaha Steaks uh, and get everyone right for Father's Day or Memorial Day or any other day you're going to be outside growing. Brandon, let's hit him with this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to get everyone going out into their Memorial Day. Uh, Brandon, let's start with this. Michael Block, the hero of the PGA Championship, the highest scoring and really darling of the tour. One of the PGA professionals who made the cut for the tournament, finished top 15, and got all the fame and accolades to go with it. Might be flying a little too close to the sun. He went on the Ripper Magoo podcast with Bob Mennery this last week, and he was asked about the differences that he saw between his game and the other pros that he was playing with. He talked about Rory, and he said, he's a lot longer than I am, meaning he hits the ball a lot farther than him, especially off the tee. He said, quote, what I would shoot from where Rory hits would be stupid. I think I would be one of the best players in the world. Hands down, if I had that stupid length all day, my iron game, wedge game, around the greens, and my putting is world class. Brandon, did he bite off a little bit more than he could chew? Was he too hot and bothered coming off? What was an unbelievable run for him at the PGA Championship?
4: Listen, if anybody knows what they can do if they were Rory McIlroy, it's the guy who finished (laughs) what? (laughs)
0: <laughs> if anyone knows what they could do if they were Rory McIlroy, it's the guy that played next to him and yes. feels like he's got it. Signed, every golfer that's ever watched a PGA event on TV saying, no, oh, man,
4: well, if I could just do this, I'd be good to go. Not everyone has played with Rory to to finish off a, a tournament. I feel like he would know more than us that this Like, I've always said, if I had Reggie White's uh, drive, discipline, and size, I probably would have had a cup of coffee in the league. But I didn't. You know what? All I know coming
0: off this, Brandon, is – This guy's retelling of this event to the people he is charging $125 an hour for lessons at his golf club back home is going to get better and better as time passes on. I always said I'm going to lie to my kids about stuff, my grandkids or my nieces and nephews, about things and wait for them to Google it and find out the truth. And I feel like that's exactly what he needs to do. So I'm not really going to knock it. The confidence clearly got him to where he was in that
4: tournament. And he's going to enjoy his moment in the sun. And I can't really blame him a lot for it. Every every time we see him, he's wearing a raw hat, and I was waiting for a little bit rawness to come through. This was it. This was the sound bite. He's also crying, which he did more of
0: uh, in the tournament we saw over the weekend, too. Guy knows. His get-out-of-jail-free card, just cry a little bit. Heady play. Heady play. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. We would wanted to talk about this all last week and didn't get around to it. The NFL is expanding their global marketing initiative, adding two more teams. So I didn't know this going back in the last year, the program was launched in January of 2022 with 19 participating clubs in 10 foreign markets. So how this works is normally NFL teams get to market only locally in their area. For everything outside of their area, the NFL handles the marketing and does it and distributes it equally across the entire league so that no club is getting an advantage over the other when it comes to where they have as far as a marketing reach. And so they've designated a lot of these countries that the NFL has either gone to play games in already or likely aspires to in the future for specific teams to market in and so some of the highlights that were added in 2023 Brandon included the New Orleans Saints being granted international marketing rights for France which feels right considering a lot of the population down in Louisiana and the French influence there the Florida Lee all that stuff feels right at home you have got the Pittsburgh Steelers being granted access to the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Now I think this is tied to one of the Rooney's formerly being an ambassador over there as well. So there's some precedence there. And then the Atlanta Falcons become the fifth club granted international marketing rights to Germany. Apparently Germany is a real hotbed for NFL football in a way that I was not fully aware of Brandon. So, uh, I would also uh, caution these teams to tread lightly because, Brandon, this does feel like a little bit of a trap considering we know they've been sending Jacksonville over there for a long time, trying to get them nice and comfy. We know they've talked and opined about how maybe one day there could be a whole division over there. And this just feels like a trap to where if you do too well on this test marketing internationally, all of a sudden you're going to wind up living there permanently.
4: Yeah, I mean, other than the people in uh, New Zealand – I don't think they have to worry about a franchise popping up there, but uh, I just feel like this is all designated areas for these NFL teams to leave flyers, right? Like it's just like, or or their boxes of, of gear that didn't sell for the year. Like I I, I wish everyone well, but the international are making the NFL international game by putting the Kansas City Chiefs in Switzerland. I really I really I don't know how this is gonna really move the needle. I do like that it's
0: basically a how-to guide for deciphering why there's certain third-party gear in the crowd of these random NFL games that get moved over to Europe. It's like, oh, that's right. This is their area. Makes total sense why someone would be a monster Justin Herbert fan in the middle of Austria. So I don't actually know if the Chargers are in there. Don't fact check me on that. But either way. I wish them all well. Brandon, let's finish up on the third and get back to stateside because over the last weekend, big news for me as Taylor Swift released some new music at the end of last week. Now, it was a Midnight's Vault track laden album album that she put out some stuff, you know, adding to the feature from Lana Del Rey, different things like that. But the real kicker on this was an unreleased song put on a CD only available in the parking lot of her East Rutherford show called You're Losing Me that turns into one of the most devastating breakup tracks I've heard in a while. Brandon, I'm officially worried about her. Officially worried about what we're hearing coming out with lyrics like, I wouldn't marry me either. This is someone who's going through it right now, so we will, as a podcast, respect her privacy, wish her well, and keep Russell Westbrook-style consuming this music like a hot dog off the end of the bench (laughs) as we hope that she finds her way through what seems to be from the outside looking in troubling times. Now, Brandon, we hope everyone has a phenomenal Memorial Day. We give our thanks to the men and women who obviously gave the ultimate sacrifice, provide the freedom that we all enjoy with this country. And so we hope with your day off, you honor that by being safe with your family and friends and appreciating each other. We thank you, as always, for downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show, leaving us a five-star rating, and checking us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel and live here on DraftKingsNetwork.com or Samsung TV Plus Monday through Friday. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.